you know, you screw up, you pay the price. Nobody here screwed up. Really? Well, somebody somewhere thinks that you did. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm Converse-wearing nomad Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with Chief Miniature Designer Jeb Lunt. Hello, Jeb. Say I'm in charge now. You're in charge now. Thanks. <laughs> Shoot, I didn't write the intro. Just kidding. You're not, because I wrote all this shit, and I'm going to read it, like it or not. How are you? I'm well, thanks, and hydrated. I'm so glad. Pass the hearts of Palm, and let's do this. This is our season finale. Wrapping up season six at last, we'll be taking a few weeks off, and then we will be marching into the desert bomb range that is the remainder of Dennis Quaid's career. But stay tuned for a brief season six wrap up by the numbers segment at the end of this episode. As far as this episode is concerned, do we have any other pod business? We do not. All right. I think we can probably stop with the Denisance updates, but I hesitate to say that out loud and bring them aloik. I guess we'll see how it goes. Flight of the Phoenix, a 2004 remake of a 1965 Jimmy Stewart vehicle. I don't think anyone really needs a plot summary, but here comes one anyway. I don't probably have a ton to add to the IMDb's logline, quote, survivors of a plane crash in the Mongolian desert work together to build a new plane. This is, in fact, what occurs. And not only have you seen this movie before, ragtag group whose intra-squad antagonisms range from mild to severe bands together and, after a couple of seemingly insurmountable losses, beats equally insurmountable seeming odds to project manage their collective way out of certain death. But someone else actually made this movie before, as mentioned in 1965 with Jimmy Stewart in the lead role, which means that Tom Hanks passed on this version. And it's not hard to see why. (laughs) Directed by A Good Day to Die Hard's John Moore and written by Scott Frank with Ed Burns brought in to fix the script. Read paint by the plot numbers using different colors, I guess. Flight of the Phoenix, duh. Stars Dennis Quaid as Frank Towns, a has-been slash never was hotshot pilot who ferries the denizens of shutdown oil rigs to their next destinations, accompanied by the -the on-the-nosiest selections from the big CD of mid-century rock cuts not yet associated with ads for blood thinner. We're meant to understand, (laughs) thank you, that it's Towns' fault that the plane crashes in the Gobi Desert when he tries to outrun a sander storm, stranding, among others, Sneaky Pete, Dr. Greg House, Sam Winchester, EMT Riley from ER, Sticky Fingers, Eowyn from Lord of the Rings, and an insufficiently fast or furious Tyrese Gibson, who's marooned in a thankless Ellis Redding in a New Yorker Desert Island cartoon role that's 85% dialogue like, you got it, and now what? We're also meant to understand... I think that Towns' resistance to every suggested means of rescue or escape is a noble refusal to engage in false hope. This is, after all, a character played by the guy who's billed above the title. But it's hard to root for Towns when there's no apparent motive for the Calvinistic stubbornness. And believe me, more had Quaid take his shirt off enough times that it's eminently clear whose side this commentator's supposed to be on. (laughs) And honestly, while nobody is particularly unlikable, it's hard to root for any of the Phoenicians when the stakes are only occasionally clear. (laughs) How long exactly have they been out there? How much water or canned peach juice is left? 
how is there enough fuel still after that giant explosion for them to consider repurposing the plane as a hybrid glider? And wouldn't the International Space Station have seen that big boom? Whose idea was it to expend energy on cute kidsy signage for Sammy's last desert's restaurant? Or creating a makeshift graveyard shifting sands is going to bury within the week? Or having a fucking dance party to outcast? Do we really believe that nobody came looking for them except Chekhov's Mongol horde? And can the film really get away with mocking the hopes and dreams speech and expect the Pavlovian shortcut fact of said speech to work on the audience? No to that last thing, but with that said, and even though you know what's going to happen, Flight of the Phoenix doesn't fuck around too much getting there at least, and you have a few stunning visuals along the way, like the smash cut to a half-buried, sand-skeletonized Padalecki after he goes outside the fuselage to take a piss and gets et by a dune, but that and other check-this-out shots probably played better or at least more distractingly on the big screen. Streamed at home, Flight of the Phoenix is a pointless exercise. Did I miss anything? You absolutely didn't. There's so many points that you raised that I just want to add bits to. And I like I wish I had taken notes as I was listening to that summary. <laughs> uh, first of all, like you can totally detect the presence of Ed Burns because uh, clearly Dennis Quaid's character is Irish Catholic and married, but he's having an affair and he yells at everybody. And uh-huh. I was like, wow, it's so nimble. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the Padalecki, like windblown, like sandblasted to death scene is like the one bit of CGI that is really good. And the rest of it is like, I didn't know that they filmed this in the middle of a mummy movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And contemporary reviews make that comparison as well. Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. It's actually fine. Like, I wasn't mad at it. But I think part of that is that, like I said, I've seen not the original, but some variation on this enough times that I didn't really have to pay full attention to it and was able to, like, do a craft, file my nails, pay bills, not pay full attention to this, which I guess they're going to pull my Quaidologist card for admitting that that's how it is sometimes, but it's Dennis Quaid and that's how it is sometimes. Well, see, unfortunately, I gave it my undivided attention and I spent a lot of the movie just going like, what the fuck? At like whatever they were doing, <laughs> like the burial thing, like, OK, you've just done the we have limited water thing. So what you're going to do is you're going to spend, I'm going to guess, a couple hours burying people mm-hmm. in the noonday sun in sand to, as you pointed, like a completely futile end because we spend the rest of the movie talking about how the dunes shift so much. Yeah. And then they bury a third person. So uh, uh. Yeah. And then the plane is buried and sort of unburied several times. We don't see any of this happening. Like, not that I need to see people playing in a giant sandbox but at the point where they do the initial interments they still think someone's going to come and rescue them in a couple of hours or days i don't think this travels so to say into an era where a character is using a palm pilot not that he's managing to send emails but he does have the palm pilot yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. For every bit that might be kind of good, there's an exasperating bit. So for like, I- even if you enjoyed some of the CGI and aren't going to be as, as um, diminishing as I am by likening it to the mummy, you know, as soon as you start to go, hey, that's a pretty good shot. It's clear that like whoever they got from ILM to do the CGI for this plane was like, like their only expertise on avionics was X-wings. Mm-hmm. So you're watching a plane do shit a plane <laughs> is not going to do. 
in that circumstance and especially not with a pilot who is not an idiot and you're just like why or as much as i enjoy seeing fucking dean from gilmore girls sam winchester whatever just completely sandblasted away until there's none of that fucking hair left the hair was still there i and the hat what the fuck (laughs) like the way that he dies is he trips over the only rock (laughs) the only rock in like they're in the middle of nothing but sand dune desert. I didn't realize that he tripped over a rock. I just thought the wind blew him into a ravine and they show like there's something that his his foot goes over that looks very rock like and then he falls down. So like this is the other thing is it, he falls down a a steep dune to the bottom. And he gets up and instead of cupping his eyes and looking for where his footprints are and just following them back up or simply since he's still kind of on the downslope of it, walking back up it, he then turns around and walks into a big, you know, flat veil of sand Mm -hmm. and gets lost. Then in the establishing shots, there is no hill next to the plane at all. It's on a complete flat land. So before that, it's flat. After that, it's flat. There's no rocks, but he trips over a rock, falls down a hill. And then gets lost. And like, you know, look, I I have no problem if you want to kill Jared Padalecki. Apparently the production did too, because according to Wikipedia, he flipped his car while doing this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, if you want to do that, fine. But like, put a little more craft into it. But I mean, it's it's this real kind of like, whoopsie daisy. Well, he's dead. (laughs) And it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that like, it is a fucking freaky image when you see him just kind of like oh they rock tumblered him huh great yeah (laughs) yeah they did i mean this is an issue with the stakes is that sometimes the dunes shift perilously and sometimes they stay exactly where they are and sometimes it's possible for our heroes quote unquote to travel around and find things that need to be found for plot catalyzing purposes and other times it's not and Sometimes everyone has made Gilligan's Island-style bowls out of sawed-off giant cans of Hearts of Palm, and sometimes they haven't, and sometimes it's important for them to conserve energy and be very still during the day, and then other times they paid a lot of money for that outcast sound cue, and they're gonna have everyone bugging out to it, including Dennis Quaid doing a classic dad chaperone, white man's overbite deal on the wing. (laughs) I mean, I understand that the point of it is not science, 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 science. But then at the same time, I pulled a clip of one of several sequences in which the Turkish Gil Grissom, I suppose, the actor played the prosecutor in Midnight Express. Um, But this scene was like, are we in an episode of CSI? Like, what is with Frank Towns dropping this rando, your one leg is more developed than the other, quote, science on on everybody, like Dick Stokes. Anyway, here's a clip. What about this map? I'll just take this map. How old is that map, Captain? Too old the way the sand shifts around here all the time. And Captain Towns' calculations could be off by 20%. No offense. I'm not saying that they are. None taken. But even if the captain is 1% in error, and you march 300 miles by the stars, you'd miss Lang Hu, and you wouldn't even know it was there to miss. You'd be walking in a circle. You're right-handed. Right. That means your right leg's more developed than your left. You take a longer step with it. You'd be walking in a left-handed circle. You know what? Forget it, all right? Y'all win, okay? 
This isn't about winning or losing. This is about staying alive. But you're in a movie, so you're you're fine. <laughs> the fact that he adds that, like, well, you know, actually, uh, you get like a half inch extra step with your right leg. So over 300 miles uh, adjusting for blah, blah, blah. Like the other guy was already winning. Yeah. Like, why did this get inserted? The other guy had a great point. It's just sort of like throwing out the uh, the academic team factoid hour. Like, yeah. actually, you know, this desert is patrolled by uh, yurt dwelling um, aboriginals who uh uh, subsist primarily on uh, kefir, and you're like, what, what? Did you just go to, like, Whole Foods and do your best on this monologue? <laughs> Kefir's not in this movie, so I guess we're fine. Ah, ah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Also, <laughs> also, these uh, nomadic, sometimes antagonists, are wearing Chuck Taylors. It's in the visual sure. aids. You can see that on our Twitter account, at Pod. I mean, sure? I guess there's no reason why not. They're sneakers for sneaking. <laughs> and I assume that Dennis Quaid had something like that because this movie also features a scene in which you have uh, the, the lair of the enemy is within a large bowl. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's nestled between two, you know, very precipitous dunes. But you have the light sand of the bowl uh -huh. and the light sand of the ground and then the dark clothing of them and the uh, of the nomads and the dark clothing of the Phoenicians. And somehow Dennis Quaid manages to sneak down this like 35 foot high lip of the bowl and go all the way around the nomads and surprise them. And I have to say, like, that is a tremendous callback to Enemy Mine. Yep. That I was not yep, seeing, yep. but I, I was like, that's sneaking. That's pro sneaking. And then the other rock in the entire desert, <laughs> yes, which rolled <laughs> off of a Star Trek set, apparently. And you know, they're helped by day for night shooting because I guess the same filters that we see are seen by the people in the movie because that's how that works. I'm just going to say that the Star Trek episode that was from the set of is the Galileo 7, which is basically Flight of the Phoenix, but with a shuttlecraft. So right. for my nerds out there, Zach, if you're listening. Is that also the one where Kirk is like lurking around in a cave holding this dark pink, very penis shaped styrofoam rock? No, no, I know which one you're thinking of. That's the one with the uh, the giant bald guy um, android, and uh, I, it's not the same. Okay. It's one where there's a crewman questioning Spock's ability to lead because he's a dispassionate Vulcan, and there's a whole, like, dialogue about, you know, people need inspiration and leadership versus that, you know, and, and I assume that that is very much just replaying the original Flight of the Phoenix in Spock form, but... Again, having grown up on a, a heavy diet of these kinds of how are we going to get out of this perilous situation with our compromised vehicle sort of stories. It's like, yep, <laughs> I, I see you. You know, mm -hmm. so. I can play the clip of the <laughs> hopes and dreams speech if you like. Sure. I like a <laughs> Sure. Here we go. You're assuming I'm one of those people who has hopes and dreams. I find it hard to believe that a man who learns to fly never had a dream. Look, how can I let those people build that plane when I don't believe it'll work? And every day they waste trying to build it brings them one day closer to dying. I think a man only needs one thing in life. He just needs someone to love. If you can't give him that, then give him something to hope for. 
And if you can't give him that, just give him something to do. It's uh, Scott Michael Campbell making the best of a bad job. A uh, couple things about this speech. Every day gets you closer to dying anyway, so regardless of whether you're marooned in the desert, so that's a dumb line. Someone should have rewritten it. Ed Burns? What? Anyone? You <laughs> oh, want to jump in here? Oh, that was the rewrite. Oh, dear. <laughs> also, is it me, or is there a John we- Wayne meets Barth from You Can't Do That on Television <laughs> line reading thing happening frequently in this movie that is weird and fascinating? You mean with Quaid? Yeah. Like, I just kept expecting it. I heard that. Like, buddy. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah, right. he's like at full. Somebody like just dialed the phlegm all the way up. But yeah, you're right. Like at any minute, he's going, ah, <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Barth. I love it. I love a Barth callback. I'm so happy. I, this is like, this, this is the second one in a few episodes. I don't, what are we, what are we doing with our lives? Every day brings us closer to death. And we're talking about this shitty movie. Um, yeah, I could read you some contemporary reviews, but everybody said pretty much what we said and made the same references. Ebert gave it two stars out of four. The Austin Chronicles he also marks. did a Hey Moose, What's That Alistair bit in the middle of the column. I was like, wow. Yeah. And then uh, there was a gif of Kevin Kubicheski popping out of a locker. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know where the fuck my car keys are, but I pulled Kevin Kubicheski out of a surface brain cell. That's just pathetic. Anyway. I want to apologize to everybody under 40 who has like no fucking clue what all these references <laughs> are about, but it's a really good show. Go back and find it. Oh. Just don't mention water or say that you don't know. Um, Mark Savlov of the Austin Chronicle gave it two stars out of five and uh, says, much to my dismay, no one mutters the requisite. That's so crazy. It just might work line. But nearly (laughs) every other cliche in the boys big book o adventure is mined for all it's worth. Although in a welcome (laughs) divergence from tradition, Miranda Otto's tough gal character isn't made to hook up with any of the strapping and frequently shirtless men folk. And quote, I agree. And I'd also like to acknowledge that none of the black characters gets killed off somehow. It's nice. Got a lot of minorities who live. Yeah. And I I agree. Like, you know, Miranda Otto is is beautiful and I really liked her in the Lord of the Rings, uh, the, the two that she was in. And you can definitely date this movie by, like, the presence of her in it. It's like, oh, well, it must be within 10 years of Lord of the Rings, because I I guess she did not have a great Hollywood shelf life. But uh, I was waiting for her to melt in response to something dumb, and I was very glad that that didn't happen. And that even in the epilogue, we get something where she is happy because she's doing something for her, by her, on behalf of her and her alone. Mm -hmm. It's like, nicely done. Yeah. Ed Burns did not take part in that rewrite. Nobody kept watching Homeland except me, and I only did because I had to. But in the season in which she played a mole, she was really good. She's good. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, the rule of Hollywood redheads I don't think applies to women, but who knows what happened there. Um, I just don't have that much else. Do you have any other notes or are you prepared to rate it? Um, I would like to segue from my notes into the rating by playing. I, I believe I, I prepared two clips for you. I'd like to hear them back to back ish with a little break because we're going to need to take a break after the first one. It's pretty momentous. Okay. This is a, a scene in which um, Dennis Quaid is having the the role of leader foist upon him yet again. And uh, we're still in his Calvinistic uh, fatalism and self-abnegation uh, with this. 
don't think I'm the right person. The muted atom bomb drop after that is uh, is something I enjoyed very much. I enjoyed that a lot in this movie. This movie has no courage uh, no. of its convictions in terms of being action-packed or frightening because at every moment where you might feel those things, it adds like two dozen sound cues ups like really fucking mashes the soundtrack up in the mix just like yeah these bits of punctuation that are more funny than they are ominous but you know for the most part it's like the movie is just not letting you believe it and that can be a little frustrating and so it it winds up taking the wind out of these important declarative moments the the most ominous one in <laughs> the most sabotaging one coming toward a uh, an important revelation at the end about Giovanni Ribisi's um what apparently he was told was he is playing like a gay East German ex Stasi officer. <laughs> like it, there's just something very bleach blonde and mechanistic and strangely uh, ethereal about his, yeah, his it's weird like, science creep guy. And Seth Green is reply guy. Like, uh, okay, you're, you're five, four. Let's bring it down a notch. But you, you designed the big stuff too, right? Elliot, I mean, planes that carry people, Planes like the Phoenix, right? No, no. Sizemore and Pratt only build model airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Also, Four. we figured that shit out or some shit adjacent to that shit like 18 minutes into it when he's like, you know, you're overweight. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the ominous music cue. <laughs> It's a four for me. Okay. I found its narrative cowardice funny, mostly. And we're at the point that we reach in every equated full season where I'm just burnt to a cinder and I'm not taking any of the shit personally in terms of how much time I have to spend on it. So right down the center lane with a five for me. Okay. Now, Barth Wayne... Is perhaps a different prospect. I mean, okay, the first clip of him that uh, I pulled is nearly drowned by Steve Winwood um, hitting <laughs> all of us on the nose. But uh, I don't think I understand how, like, why this occurred, how this was directed. It took me a minute to figure out what the bit even was. Oh, yeah. But ladies and germs, <laughs> Mr. Dennis Quaid, who early in his career did stand up comedy at a strip joint in Houston. How do you think that worked out? Clipboard. OK, all set, Mr. President. I think it's about that time that we do the checklist as the two bills. What do you say, buddy? Well, why change a good thing? Go ahead, good buddy. Allow me to grab my bulletin. Seatbelts. I always like to have a little something strapped to my lap. Check. <laughs> Windows, doors, and objects. Closed and secured so no one can disturb us. I mean, like, it, I guess it's not a bad imitation of William Jefferson Clinton, but I, I mean, they're trying to kind of have it both ways with that, I think. Well, I, let me stop you there. It's a bad impression. Like, the only word that he gets right is that 
check. <laughs> like he gets that 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 Clinton like slightly in the back of the nose, top of the throat vocal fry on it. The rest, like, I mean, we we've been giving this movie shit for not having the courage of its of its convictions. I applaud them for including an extended bit because you're only playing like a third of it yeah of two guys who can neither do a bill clinton nor a bill cosby impression doing a bill clinton and bill cosby impression that was a cosby impression okay well you learn something new every day so i was like which bill is this i don't feel like belichick talks like that i just could not could not get cosby from that until you just said it but of course it is yeah, and they can't say any of the brands, so you don't have any clue because you can't be like the pudding pops, you know, mm-hmm. like whatever that would let you, you know, go. Oh, I know what that is. Right. So it's just like, is that Cosby? Well, I know he's trying. Clinton is that, and then you you got like thirty seconds of that. Like you could have picked other people for them to like. What can you do an impression of? Perfect. Let's write around that. But no. Then if you're gonna have him do the impression, if that if it's that important, cast somebody you can do it or. If they required that in their contracts, like, we're going to do this bit that is, I don't know, five years out of date at best. Why is Steve Winwood screaming in our ears also? Like, again, if, if you think this bit is funny and belongs in the movie, let's let us hear it. If you don't, just leave the on-the-nose music cue that's telling us how to feel or pointing us toward an imminent irony and just let it sit there. Who is this for? No idea. I, I mean, I guess they had to have him doing something while wearing his all his right stuff gear and being not the best pilot we ever saw. So, okay. But yeah, that's not... I don't know who insisted on that, but I'm going to hang it on Quaid because that just seems like something he would have been like, this is good, right? I worked on it, right? And they're like, well, you're above the title, so fine. <laughs> that's it. He's not terrible in this it's just a confused performance because it's a confused character like i think he's trying to do something with it when there's no need for him to do anything with it Mm -hmm. and also you know barth wayne and also here's this dialogue which i like basically was created ransom note from the newspaper style by Ed Burns from other better movies and also worse movies. We're not garbage. Aren't you? <laughs> We're people. Families. And lives to live. All of us. I don't want to die like this. Come on. Let's get the hell out of here. Let's go home. And take those cellos with you. This is a national park, and that's littering. (laughs) I, I think there might have been another bomb in there. Just a teeny little test one. Like, okay. Like, any of them is going to be like, nah, you go ahead. This is a movie. Someone's got to stay behind. Guys, there's only so many stories. You know which one you're in. Just just do it. Ugh, sigh. 
so I was reading the Wikipedia page for this, and it, it says that in the uh, the DVD, the original DVD release of this, you could see a behind the scenes of the the making of Flight of the Phoenix, and in it you can see the director just like screaming at the crew, uh, sorry, at the actors, <laughs> and uh, that it was not included in the um, the Blu-ray release later. <laughs> um, but it, I get the sense that he did not have um, a uniformity of direction, and there really isn't a uniformity of sense of what the character is in the plot that we're given. Like, I would buy a lot of what's going on with the character if he told me that there was a five-minute bit, maybe broken up, but like a chunk of five minutes that actually explained his backstory and explained some of you know, the tension that he's undergoing. I, one part of the backstory I would be interested in is, frankly, finding out how he can sneak down a 35-foot sand dune in dark clothing and then drop four guys in a row with double taps to center mass. Yeah. Without running out of the the bullets in his magazine, despite the fact that these are guys who we later find out in the movie go around with AKs all the time. And he's just like, double tap, double tap, double tap, double tap, and we're done. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. But... Without like any real like lodestar for the character, you have Dennis Quaid falling back on some bad Dennisisms, and I think uh, like the the reluctance to assume leadership that the town's character has winds up being played with this sort of like oh shucks I don't wanna kind of mm -hmm. slouchiness from Quaid like a, a petulant like just leave me alone that sneaks into a lot of his characters and does not work for this kind of drama. It certainly doesn't work without any explanation behind it. So, you know, in one moment you have him sort of seeming to stand tall and be rugged. And then in others, you kind of expect him to want to put both hands on the small of his back and just, be, you know, kind of slouch down and I'm done. It's hot out. Yeah. Thirsty. And he is making a number of Schrodinger scat faces, of course. Sometimes that's because he's squinting against either sun or sandy wind or both. Other times that's just him, but there is a brattier cast to it that even if all you know about your own character is that it was played in its first iteration by James Stewart, that you have to be a little less petulant. And even if it's not given to you on the page, which it isn't, like, wasn't his character and savior named Frank or was he just named the guy? Because just supply that backstory. Yeah. You were a mercenary. You've seen some shit. Fine. That's how you can find the only rock in the desert, creep up behind it in your contrasting clothing, and shoot to kill with no problem. This is a failure of imagination on his part also, but to be fair, there is a backstory that, as you said, could have been economically at least hinted at in a couple of different scenes early on that this job is a come down for him, that he, I don't know, used to be armed forces and so, capital S something, capital H happened. We're not given any of that. And there's absolutely no reason except to create conflict for him to be like, nah, or for any of them to listen to him. Right. It's like, if he doesn't want to help build the plane, that's fine. But if he'll agree to fly it once it's built, it's like, just, you know, glide off that bridge when you get to it. We're giving this so much more thought than Ed Burns did. I, I can't even. No, look, the, the practical thinking of a group of people who are like, there's a scarcity of water. This guy's wandering out into the desert to die. Let's go get him back so he can drink more of our water. 
Yeah. Like, I, I don't think any of them would have been capable of going like, fine, just sit there and be a dumbass. When it's built, you fly it. Yeah. Like that, that seems too high order for people who can't even figure out like managing scarcity in a mortal situation. Yeah. But I mean, maybe they're sort of on the same page with us, which is it's completely not credible that some satellite space junk wouldn't pick up that huge explosion or one of the many fires we built or 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 it's like you know you're passing over one landmass like oh there's the luxor huh yeah what's that in the middle of the gobi i should call that shit in they'd be out there for what 18 hours give me a break if we've learned from dennis quaid movies it's that dennis quaid in australia with a bunch of aboriginals lighting a fire can create fireflies maybe that interfere with john glenn's orbit so if that can happen there then a fireball like uh, from jet fuel explosion can definitely be seen by anybody or in orbit i mean that's just science yeah that is just science i'm extremely <laughs> intrigued by the uh tommy westfall-esque quaidiverse extended quaidiverse that we're creating here you know, I don't want to think about it because I'm pretty sure we could just yank him into the Tommy Westfall universe at this point. I mean, there's got to be some crossover with Belzer at some point. Yeah, that's true. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Listeners, if you find it for us, let us know. In the meantime, shall I issue my Quaidocity rating first or would you like to proceed? Please, I, I'm, I'm extremely curious. Uh, okay, well, he doesn't do any of the like overtly stereotypical Dennis Quaid blocking, but he gets pretty close. There is the elementary dilemma. I think it's clear this guy fucks not as often as some other Dennis Quaid characters, but I think he fucks. He's a pilot. There are some grins. Uh, he's got his shirt off. And uh, I mean, he's not great, but this is, I think, when you go out to Dennis Quaid fourth. And he says, yes, this is what you as the production team have revised your hopes to, to include. So I will say that this is, while not the best, fairly quady seven. That is a lot more generous than I was expecting. I initially came in more firmly in the negative side, but just from the discussion, I want to revise my vote upward to a five. It's perfect replacement level quaid <laughs> he's there corp it's clear that he physically exists emotionally he exists some of the time i don't think that those grins that are there are of sufficient luminosity or mm. rascaliness i think for it to be more quaidy there would have to be like a little hint of a try at a wink at um miranda otto's character you know before ditching it there isn't mm -hmm. um and then what Quaid does come through a lot is like what we think of as like sort of the the dross Quaid, like the, you know, the unfortunate byproduct of mining for pure Quaid ore, <laughs> uh -huh. where you're getting the, you know, the pouty expression and the listlessness and the, the lack of sense that he is conscious of what body he's inhabiting and what purpose it has in this circumstance, um, even as he's affecting the role of a leader, he still seems to almost physically be cringing or trying to i don't know nap from the moment so you know to the extent that it's there it's not really contributing either to your enjoyment of like well dennis quaid's just going to dennis quaid it up and as a quaid fan i'm enjoy i'm i like it or 
the role of towns. Like they both just seem to be characteristics or or idiosyncrasies that couldn't quite be driven from this that ultimately I think without like a, a focus on the character or focus from, you know, El Screamo, the director, just sort of devolve into like listlessness. And yeah. So you're getting Quaid, but Quaid's not adding a lot. So down the middle. Um, I don't disagree with that assessment, but I think as we move forward into remarkably less successful projects by volume um in our in our academic journey here we're going to be diverging you and i on the uh triple q rating because i feel like drossy quaid is also pure quaid Mm. at this point i think that they're they're bending towards each other all right so we're we're heading into season seven season seven epistemic crisis But first, a little wrap-up of the quadiest and least quady properties that we talked about here in Season 6. Uh, the stuff we liked the best and the stuff we liked the least. We gave Traffic our highest score of the season with an 8.5, just edging Frequency with an 8.17. And then bringing up the rear, Freedom, colon, History of Us with a 2.5, which seems kind of generous of us. And uh, Cold Creek Manor, <laughs> Stephen Dorff's Revenge, uh, had a three. <laughs> also in season six, what was the quadiest? Uh, Far From Heaven was deemed the quadiest with an 8.33. But In Good Company, which we just talked about last time, was also deemed quite quady with an eight. Not very quady at all. Tied with a 3.25 was Freedom, colon, A History of Us and The Alamo, which is not what I would have predicted. Hmm. Yeah, don't go to the desert, Dennis Quaid. That's, I guess that's the rule. Or don't have a Virginia accent. Stay out of there, Dennis. Stay out of my arid community. (laughs) Next time on Quaid in Full, Season 7. In the meantime, do a Hearts of Palm shot and check out our show notes. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. And get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jed Lund and edited by Jed Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Grab Hugh Laurie's Palm Pilot and make a note to go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. What the hell is the matter with you? Oh, shut up. Jesus. What the hell was that?